Everybody, we're going to go ahead and get started. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Center for American Progress and Campus Progress. Thank you guys so much for coming to this event, which was co-sponsored in partnership with the Energy Action Coalition, um, a coalition of over 40 youth organizations united for a clean energy future that did a lot of exciting, great work around the youth vote in partnership with Campus Progress and Campus Progress Action. Let me tell you a little bit about our organization before we dive right into the conversation. Um, Campus Progress is an organization devoted to supporting young people and getting their voices heard on the issues that matter to them. We do that in a number of different ways, through programs in activism, journalism, and events. You can check out our website at campusprogress.org. Um, and this conversation today, I think, is a culmination of work that our organization um, and, and thousands, thousands of others across this country, both nationally um, and, and locally, have, have done a lot of work really to be able to focus on what is this thing we're calling the youth vote? Why does it matter? What can we expect from it? And I, I'm excited to say that we can finally talk about it in retrospect. We can finally say what we saw happen on Tuesday. And the reason this conversation is important is because we need to know not only what happened, but why did it happen so that we can learn from it, and more importantly, what's going to happen moving forward? What can we expect from this generation, from this voting block we're calling young voters um, in the months and the years and hopefully decades to come? Um, and so that's what this conversation is about. Hopefully, we can also dispel some myths about this voting block. Um, and I have with me a very distinguished panel that's going to try to do just that. So let me introduce them to you, and thank you all so much for coming. To my immediate right, I have with me um, Amanda Carpenter. She is the national political reporter for townhall.com, the leading online publication for news, opinion, and talk. Thank you, Amanda, for being here. Um, to her right, I have Reverend Yearwood. He is the president of the Hip Hop Caucus. Um, and a, a nationally acclaimed minister and activist uh, in the hip-hop community. To his right, we have David Madlin. He is the director of the American Worker Project at the Center for American Progress Action Fund and has written a series of reports on young people and the economy. And last but not least, all the way at the end, I'm joined by Kat Barr, um, the political outreach director at Rock the Vote. And in this role, she oversees their political outreach program, working to ensure candidates, campaigns, and other organizations recognize the power of young voters. So let's give our panelists a round of applause. Thank you so much for being here. And we're going to dive right in. So clearly the cliche, this was a historic election, right, for so many different reasons. Um, the statistics that we've seen thus far, and I think Kat's going to be able to speak a little more specifically to some of them, but already we know that there's between 22 and 24 million young Americans who came out and voted. That's a record number. Um, Percentage-wise, statistics are showing that it's between 50 and 55% of young Americans voted, also historic and significant per, uh, percentage. So Kat, let me start with you. Statistically, besides what I just said, what did we see about those young voters that came out on Tuesday? Um, so thank you everyone for coming and thanks for having me here. Um, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, we saw likely a record number of young people at the polls on Tuesday. But I think even more than that, um, there are a couple of key things that came out looking at the exit polls and the other figures. Um, so uh, on the one hand, um, looking at the exit polls, 66% of 18 to 29 year olds voted for Senator Barack Obama, 32% for John McCain. And that's quite a change from the way that young people have voted compared to the overall electorate in previous elections. Um, in general, they vote just you know, maybe slightly one way or the other different, but about similar to the overall electorate. 
Um, so it was really quite striking. And when you look at some of the state-by-state -state races, particularly Indiana, North Carolina, Virginia, you can see that in those states, young <coughs> people also voted two to one for Senator Obama. And the margin of uh, victory in the states that have been called um, <laughs> is so small that it's clear that young people made the difference. And that is, in a bigger sense of things, clearly an indication of when, it, when a campaign puts real and substantive resources into mobilizing young people, they win because of it. So how does that turn out compared to what we were expecting? I mean, I think leading up to, beginning with the primaries and leading up to Tuesday, I mean, there was tons, tons of information being flooded saying that young people were going to turn out, they weren't going to turn out. They were going to turn out record numbers, they were going to register but not actually come out to the polls. And then uh, the feedback from our organizations was absolutely not. They're going to come out and they're going to do it and they're going to do it in X, Y, and Z ways. So based on what we saw, did that happen? Did it happen in the way we wanted it to happen? And if not, why? And if so, why? Yeah, I think uh, Claire, I mean, given both the numbers and then also the stories from the ground and the lines at the polls and the, I mean, it's clear that young people turned out big and made the difference and, and made the difference in this election. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that a variety of different facts and figures will come out. I think that to some extent what's even more important than that are the stories that we hear across the country and the pictures and videos we saw of young people you know, in the streets celebrating the night of the election um, because that is, that's where you really get to what um, democracy can be and can mean for young people. And, you know, we, all day long, we're getting flooded with pictures of three-hour-long lines, seven hours, seven-hour-long lines in Virginia, three-hour-long lines in, um, in Michigan. And I, I think it's just, you know, it's really quite incredible what we saw. Well, let's unpack a little bit who these young people are. I think oftentimes the shorthand, unfortunately, for a young voter means college students, the, the people that we can find on a college campus. But that, in reality, is not the case. All young voters are not college students. Reverend Hewitt, I know that your organization also works um, with non-college youth. What did you see from that demographic uh, on, on Tuesday? Was that percentage any different uh, than the overall youth voting percentage? Is that what we were expecting to happen? And if so, why? What were the differences there? I think, first and foremost, I think that what we saw non-college young people. Uh, definitely came out. They didn't come out as much um, as those that gone to college. But they definitely came out um, in, in large numbers that we've seen uh, before and definitely larger than we saw. With you can't before. hear him. Yeah, can you? Hold off. Um, just to say again that the non-college young people definitely um, voted and came out more than um, um, we saw even on Super Tuesday. Mm -hmm. um, and I de definitely think that what we saw, piggybacking on what was just said, is that I think that young people, in <coughs> essence, on Tuesday smashed, I mean destroyed, mm -hmm. I mean beat down the kitty table mentality to politics. They, in essence, took it in their own hands. They, in essence, said, look, 
You know, most of us, some of us were 22. All we've known since I was 14 might have been the Bush administration. Um, and both sides, I mean, Republican and Democrat, I think across the board, I think young people were responding. Not so much even, I mean, part obviously to a change message, which was critical. But I think that they were also responding to the fact that what they have seen in our generation and what I have heard is that this became our lunch counter moment for the 21st century. This became our moment. This became, it was like Rosa Parks, Frederick Douglass. It became the moment when we recognized, which you saw in the long lines, that if we don't do it now, they were never going to do it. Our climate is going to be disastrous. Uh, our, our school systems. It just was across the board. So I think you didn't even see a Republican response or a Democrat response. We saw a human response. Mm -hmm. We put humanity on the forefront, and we went to the polls, and we just we just turned it out. <laughs> and some of the issues that you were you were mentioning, you said, you know, what are we going to do about the climate crisis? So yeah. climate change is one. I know we talked about uh, the war in Iraq being a very important issue. Um, but in terms of the trajectory of this particular election cycle, I think most people acknowledge that the economy and the changes in the economy were a significant motivating factor for a lot of Americans, not just young voters, because of the dramatic changes we've recently seen. Um, so David, can you speak to that? What do young people feel about the economy, and how did that impact the election? Yeah. Thanks, Erica, and thanks for having me. So as people are probably all aware, uh, the economy was the issue in this election. Exit polls show almost two-thirds of uh, public thought this was the most important issue. And while that's sort of for all voters, young voters have felt the economy has been the most important issue for quite some time. Um, so in, uh, before August, the public was thought energy or Iraq were as important or more important than the economy. But if you look back to that, for example, in 2006, more young people thought uh, Nearly twice as many young people thought the economy was more the most important issue as did older voters. Back in 2003, even more young voters thought, uh, young people thought the economy was the most important issue, even more important than Iraq. Um, so while those other issues were important for young people, the economy really was the issue. And it's sort of long felt, not just a current financial crisis, but it's been a much longer standing issue. And that's because the economy has not been working for young people for quite some time. This potentially, in fact, many people say very likely, will be the first generation to not live as well, be as well off as their parents. Um, that means, in sort of set of the American dream, where you do better off than your parents, will uh, this generation very likely will not uh, achieve that, and that's sort of a fundamental change. Uh, and you can, I can go sort of go through the statistics and what that means. But some of the most obvious things are young people, young adults are the most likely group go without health care. Uh, their wages are significantly down compared to previous generations of young people. Um, they're significantly more likely to be in debt, in part, large part for, co for college. Um, so young people, the economy is the most important thing. They're not doing very well. The result, they have, they're rejecting largely the conservative economic viewpoint that's been in power for the past eight years. Um, and I can talk more about that. But so this election really was about the economy. It's not just about the recent problems in the economy, but long-standing problems for young people. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the economy was one of the top issues. We mentioned the other issues that were um, of a high priority for young voters. And so it sounds like we connect the dots based on what their concerns were and then how they voted, heavily Democratic, with uh, seeming that, that they would want progressive policy solutions. Let me ask you, Amanda. So 
is there a recognition within um, conservative politics, perhaps the Republican Party now, that there's something going wrong with um, conservative ideology, policy prescriptions, what have you, outreach strategies, whatever the case may be, um, in not being able to secure the youth vote? The youth vote, there's a lot of different things going on. I'll address that at the top and then I'll kind of go into whether the conservative ideology is truly rejected or not. Um, if you look at the, the models that the McCain campaign was using in terms of winning the election, they essentially, I mean, Barla Faye stayed the course. They were just replicating what had worked for them in the past. While you saw a lot more innovation going on the left in terms of moveon.org, organizing online, online contributions, I mean, all that stuff is really revolutionary. And you didn't see the Republicans do it because that was not the model that worked. Um, I, as a conservative, do not believe that the economic policies were rejected because I do not think that the party had been true to those policies for a long time. And in terms of why the Barack Obama message worked with the youth more, I think, plays into what David said. Um, there's a lot of anxiety about the economy, and Obama did a wonderful job tying the war to the economy in terms of spending. Um, I don't think you can throw away the notion that young voters, you know, which is 18 to 29, are the ones most affected by the war because they're the ones that um, have family members and friends coming back with legs blown off and terrible things like that. So that strikes very close to home. I have a friend who's in Walter Reed right now, so I think about that every single day. Um, and so people want that to be over. Uh, I think that's clear. But in terms of the economy, when you have Barack Obama essentially hijacking the tax cut message, right, I'll give 95% of Americans a tax cut, I'm going to give you universal health care and you know, free education, um, those are all very ambitious things. It's going to be very difficult for him to do that. Um, but in terms of the idealistic young voter, all those things sound good. And whether or not he can do them, um, it's a winning voting message. So, so then in terms of the overall uh, conservative ideology on other issues um, that polling has shown is important to young voters, like perhaps gay marriage, um, like perhaps um, immigration policy. So do you not think that there's been any sort of rejection from young voters on some of those social issues to conservative well, ideas? I mean, you can look at Proposition 8 in California, which um, did not pass again in terms of immigration. I mean, Barack Obama did not campaign on <laughs> gay marriage and immigration. Uh, John McCain didn't, even though uh, you know, Karl Rove thought that would be the winning issue in terms of getting the, the permanent Republican majority. Um, those issues, I mean, those controversial hot button issues were largely absent from the general election campaign. Um, so I don't think you can really talk about that. I mean, if anything, Barack Obama ran against George Bush on the economy and the war. That's really all he had to do because those things were you know, so divisive right now. So um, we'll see how that goes when he makes that part of you know, his general agenda. Um, it's it's going to be rough. I know I, you guys have a great win right now. Um, but those things are going to come up, and I can tell you the fights are going to be big, and it's going to start with you know something like card check when uh, they try to implement union, unionization um, of all the workplaces. I know the conservatives are battling for you know battle royale on that, um, so there'll be a fight within the business community. So we'll see how these things go. Um, we'll have to see how he handles. There's going to be a jobs report coming out at the end of the week um, that will probably be gloomy. Um, I don't know how long Barack Obama can blame the Bush administration. When that runs out, um, they'll have some work to do. Okay, so we, we've acknowledged that any president, frankly, would have a lot of work to do considering the state of affairs in our country right now. Um, it, Barack Obama is no exception to that. So in terms of young voters being motivated by the issues that matter to them, 
And I think we can argue back and forth as to whether some of those social hot button issues, whether or not they were a priority in the national campaign, have been a priority for young voters for quite some time. Over here, were you going to jump in? Yeah, I, I did want to jump in. I think that I, I did. I want to say more. I think it's important. I agree. I, I agree with one thing you definitely said with that. Uh, well, the Obama presidency had difficulty. And most definitely, I mean, any presidency had difficulty. But I do think, I do think there was a pushback against a lot of some of the conservative thought. I think that the, 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 uh, this generation, uh, which we like to call sometimes the hip-hop generation or the dream generation, because it is now a much more multiracial generation, much more diverse, much more approving generation, I think there was a pushback of this identity politics. I think there was a pushback of you're going to be, you're only going to, you, you have, you can put up a woman candidate because she's a woman, or you can put up a black candidate. I think there was an issue here that this generation was pushing it back against some of this identity politics of saying that um, that you can that, that it can only be this way or that way. I think that young people were coming to the polls and were saying to across the board, not only to Republicans but to Democrats as well, that there is a new generation. was so combative. I mean, the fight between Hillary Clinton and Obama, I think, was somewhat of a referendum on the establishment exactly. in general. And maybe that's what you're speaking to. That's, ex no, I, that's exactly it. I think that's so I just want to make sure that it wasn't just that Obama's uh, uh, victory now. And, you know, and I, I think we all should be happy. I mean, I, uh. <laughs> but I think in his, in his victory, I think that it was for this new generation. Because he himself is 47. So I think that from the standpoint, there was this there is a standpoint that, there's a, that there was a need for a new deck. And I think it was the establishment had to put us in this road. Let me jump in there now. So in terms of this being a new day, what happens tomorrow, right? So we've been saying for months now that young people are important, young people are excited, young people care about the issues. This is a, um, an extraordinary historic time. But that time has occurred. We saw what happened. What do we do now? Not necessarily what does President-elect Obama do. I think that's an important conversation that needs to be had. But at the same time, we need to figure out what are young people going to be doing post-election? So Kat, can you um, talk about some of the policy proposals that you think young people will be fighting for specifically? Sure. Um, and you're 100% right. That is the most important question right now. What do we do with the incredible engagement, energy, and activism that we saw from this, I think, completely game-changing generation? Um, young people really did change the face of politics. Um, not just this election cycle, but it's important to recognize that this change among young people, their engagement, the way that they've taken politics into their own hands has been going on for at least four or five years now. Um, we started seeing increased engagement in issues, in politics, in everything before the 2004 election. Um, and so where do we go from here? I mean, I think that that's a question um, for every organization out there and for every individual young person. Um, but there's a, a few thoughts that come top of mind. Um, so I think that, you know, there, the huge issues facing our country, Iraq, the economy, healthcare, um, and global warming, I think, um, are the ones that come off top of mind. And those are the top issues for young people in addition to college affordability. Um, so I think it is both the responsibility and um, privilege of organizations like Rock the Vote and the Center for American Progress and all of the organizations out there that have been focused on young voter work this year to um, figure out both together and for their own organizations what to tackle next and how to not just, you know, not from our little perch in DC to tell all those young people out there what it is that we're going to do, but really bring them together, whether it's virtually or in person, 
and work with those young people um, to figure out, well, what would you like to see on a national level? What do you want to do in your state? What's going on already, and how can we tap into that? Mm -hmm. So that, and then also um, figuring out how to really connect um, the awesome youth organizing that's been happening with other organizations <coughs> and people and constituencies out there, whether it's uh, unions working on healthcare issues, or it's um, you know the environmental groups working on global warming, to make sure that we're all working as one mm -hmm. to build um, to build with the youth power that we have. Connect that with because they're not just youth issues. It's young right. people are a political powerhouse. We've proven that for the last three election cycles, particularly this one, and we are a huge benefit to any you know kind of um, constituency out there working to to make change. Um, but we're not alone, and we shouldn't we shouldn't want to be either. And so it'll be crucial to for you know kind of the other movements out there to really reach out to us, and we'll do the same um, to tackle things. I you know if I had to guess, I'd say healthcare um, is going to be a, a huge thing right off the bat. Obviously, the economy is urgent and pressing, as is the war in Iraq. Um, so, David, were you going to jump in right there too? Well, yeah. So, and I was also going to respond a little bit to what Amanda said, and I. Amanda, I appreciate that you're here because I know when I have to do the opposite and be sort of the uh, the voice in the wilderness, it's a hard position to be in. Go so, ahead, go so, ahead. So, here comes the knife. Um, <laughs> the, uh, so while well, Amanda's definitely right that this election in some ways was simply a rejection of status quo um, and a call for change, it's also a fundamentally progressive election, especially for young people. If you look at the attitudes of young voters, uh, there's been a fundamental change. They're much more progressive, and especially on the economy, than previous generations. They, I mean, I can go, it's, and it's sort of I, at an ideological level, just sort of about the role of government in the economy, um, but it's also on range of specific issues. They're, this generation is the most likely to support universal health care, more, more than older generations are now, but also more than uh, other generations are when they were younger. And that's sort of true for uh, increased support for education, even if tax increases are required to pay for it. Uh, it's also true for support of unions. Um, and that's, I think, a real, really surprising finding because this unionization is sort of about 8% of the private workforce. Um, and so this generation has relatively little, whereas at the high point it was about a third of the workforce. This generation has relatively little direct exposure to unions and the ability to raise wages and increase benefits, yet they recognize that something's not right in their workplace and they want something that can help them out. And they recognize their union's able to do that. So there's been a, a sea change here. Uh, and we saw, so the underlying attitudes there's been a sea change. And now young voters prove that they have the power to do something about it. And I think that's going to be fundamentally important. Because this is, not only they turn out, this, is the, this generation is as large or larger than the baby boom. So combine their size with some increased turnout and a decidedly progressive agenda on the most important issue of the day, we're looking at uh, significant changes now and likely in the future. <coughs> and Reverend Yearwood, so we were talking earlier about sometimes the difference or the perceived difference between college youth and non-college youth, or you know, people who say general youth vote and then people who say the hip-hop community separately. Um, in terms of talking about what issues and what the demands are moving forward, 
do you find that there's a difference, a priority place on certain issues? For example, I know we talked about within the climate movement that there's you know, a segment that is pushing more for um, clean energy policy versus green jobs, because jobs impact the economy in a very concrete, tangible way for perhaps lower income communities. So are you finding with the demographic that you primarily work with, is there a difference in the, the issue priorities moving forward? It's a, it's a difference in how it's, it's articulated. Um, yes, I mean, I, I'm sure everybody just, we sit up here to discuss, okay, it's, it's the economy, it's the climate, it's the war. We could have, we could break it down. When we were out there in the streets, they would just say, it's just messed up. <laughs> it's just messed up and we got to fix it. And I, and I think it's important. I think that, I mean, I, I, I agree, man. Campus Progress, Rock the Vote, Rock Caucus, so many groups. League did a phenomenal job. But let's be serious. This also is much more than an election. It became a movement in which young people, regardless if we had been there or not, we were able to maybe hone and, and push and direct and help, but it showed even how it just, people were just, how it just a spontaneous reaction after the election around the country. We, were, we, didn't, we didn't have to do voting parties. Voting parties just emerged in the streets of this country because the people, it, it became a movement. People were organizing themselves, and it was because they wanted to see a change. They, they knew that something was not right, very similar to the civil rights movement. So you had that Fannie Lou Hamer moment. You had people who were, hadn't gone to college, who had genius outside the academy, and they started organizing in Oakland, organizing in Cleveland, organizing in Tallahassee. You saw that happening. They didn't need a hip-hop caucus to say, respect my vote. It was great. They would get a t-shirt. They didn't need Rock the Vote to say, rock the vote, because they knew it was time for, something was wrong. You can't keep spending billions for a war and not have books in your school. You can't have your grandmother not have health care and you just be bailing out Wall Street. They knew. And so what you saw on the fourth was as close to what we saw in the civil rights movement. But also for young people, what we saw was that we weren't revolutionary. We weren't like, we gotta go get a gun and stand outside. What you saw on the fourth was moving from revolutionary to solutionary. Our generation was like, we need change, and we need to see it right now. And they went forward, Republican and Democrat. They, they were lockstep because they knew that th they just said this, it had to be a difference. Mm -hmm. You saw a movement as well as an election on the 4th. How do we channel that, though? I mean, I think that, that's, the, that's the question yeah. moving forward. And let me just say this, guys. I, I just want to say that we have to now make what we heard now, what we saw, we now, our job has to make government transparent. It's critical. Our number one job, if we do anything from this point, is to teach the process. We gotta become just a bunch of civic teachers in some cases, because they have no idea HR 57, no idea S28, they have no idea what it means to have an appointee. They might hear about Ron Emanuel, might hear about EPA, there's no idea. They don't understand that's all part of the process. And so we now have to educate them, it's critical. And we also recognize a lot of our institutions that we have used in the past have become institutionalized and can't move. So our new organizations, young people, we have to be innovative and creative now to really push forth a movement because they're looking for that. But we've got to make government more transparent, we've got to make it have much more access, and we've got to have much more influence. And for me, as a person of color, I mean, it's going to be fantastic now to begin to start taking people of color, black and brown and young people, to the White House and now really say you can become president of this America. 
Is the rhetoric any different on the conservative side now? I mean, I, I would assume it is a little bit because the statistics show that the turnout was different. However, granted, saying that young people in general are excited, young people in general are activated no matter what candidate they supported, um, is the conservative movement going to also work to continue to hone that energy, or, or what are they going to do to be able to grow that energy? Well, it's difficult. I, I love what you say about transparency because as a conservative that lives in pretty much an online community, that's a huge issue on our side as well. I mean, there's, there'll certainly be bipartisan support to make government more transparent because I think from all sides, that's how you make government better. We can see where the money is. I mean, the biggest issue with people my age, you know, I'm 25, is entitlement spending. It's spending, spending, spending. That is. I think the, the rallying cry that will be for younger conservatives is that how do we not get saddled with these bills? And I know there's concern on that on the other side as well. But again, when you talk about universal health care, free college for all, all these things are huge entitlements. And you know, people are already so worried about what Medicare prescription drug did and the $700 billion for uh, Wall Street, which I think was horrendous. I mean, these are the things I worry about every single day. Um, I, you know, from a liberal perspective, I, I can't think it's going to get better because of all the things that Obama campaigned on. Um, so conservatives, I would expect to rally and organize around that message. Uh, they certainly understand that it's more important to move online now. But part of this was with you know the party being in power for so long is that the power structures got old and fat and happy. I mean, that's what happens when you're in power for a long time. So in terms of just having change and all that, I mean, it's somewhat liberating for me as a conservative because I was in high school when Bush got elected the first time. And so, you know, I came to Washington and kind of had to, like, you know, um, I had an ideology that I believed in principles, and I didn't always see those upheld because they've been in power for so long. So this is going to be very cleansing for conservatives as well who really want change in our leadership um, to accompany the change that's going on in the, in the executive branch. Now, so everyone within this room, I think now we all understand young people are important. We've got an agenda we're moving forward. And I think I'm sure some of the questions from the audience will unpack that agenda a little bit more. Um, but do we think now that our elected officials recognize this, that our politicians recognize this? I think we're going to demand that they do. Um, but based on this election and kind of um, the political capital that we feel we've earned, do we think that that's going to be recognized in return? Um, that is a very good question, and I think it does, it is exactly part of the answer to the where do we go from here. Um, and just one thing based on the last um, bit of conversation, um, I think a couple of things. One, on the where do we go from here, it's really crucial to recognize that um, while we, there has been such a focus on the election this last year, that there are organizations out there and young people organizing on the ground on issues throughout the election cycle. So there's, you know, Power Vote is here and Mobilize and Planned Parenthood and you know, organizations who have recognized the power of young voters for quite some time been engaging and will continue to do that probably even bigger and better after the election. Um, and I think, so there's that, but then um, that really does feed exactly into um, whether or not, you know, the political establishment is recognizing and will really continue to recognize the power of young people. Um, I don't know, I've been doing this for six years now, and the way that politicians respond or campaigns respond to the youth vote and to a phone call from a young, you know, a youth vote organization now is night and day compared to 2002 when I started doing this. So, well, A, they respond, um, and then B, they listen to us, and, uh, and same deal with the press. You know, the conventional wisdom 
has been changing for quite some time from, oh, those young people, they're so lazy and apathetic, to, wow, look at it, they do vote and they do make a difference. And the press has finally recognized that, and slowly the political establishment is as well. Um, but I think that it's all too easy, even, even after you know two days ago when young people clearly turned out in powerful numbers, it's all too easy for political leaders and the press to fall back on that kind of cynical view of young people, however wrong it might be. And so not only, so that makes it even more important for all of us and, and you know, every young person who's been engaged by the election out there to, to keep on at it, to you know, keep going to the streets for the issues that we care about, to keep lobbying, to keep writing letters to the editor, to keep getting their peers engaged, to really take advantage of um, tools that are now so more easily distributed through the internet, um, through different, you know, uh, different mechanisms to stay engaged and to keep pressure on the people that we all just elected to take action on the things that we care about. Um, young people right now are a progressive generation um, and made that clear on election day, but politicians, you know, by nature are a little bit risk adverse. Uh, so. Whichever side of the aisle you're on, they're going to be a little risk adverse, and so it's up to young people to to, to keep loud um, and to keep active more now more than ever. I think one of the tactics that we've also um, used to kind of amplify our voice is to find out who are the friends of the youth movement, right? Who are the friends of the youth vote? We found that Barack Obama was a great friend of the youth vote, um, but also our movement has been characterized a lot of times by you know young people like celebrities, they like flash, right? So I'm going to go to the hip hop hip hop caucus and ask. Um, I think particularly the hip-hop generation has been characterized or mischaracterized, however you want to look at it, as, as relying heavily on celebrities, with organizations like Rock the Vote, Hip-Hop Caucus, using celebrities to be able to turn out young people. And I think this election cycle, we saw that, but it felt a little bit different. It felt a little bit different to see T.I. actually go vote. It felt a little bit different to see Jay-Z down and doing campus tours. So strategically, how did that help the youth vote, and how can we use that energy moving forward to make it substantive? No, I, I think, I, I mean, celebrity always has always had an impact on all generations. I mean, obviously, Harry Belafonte had an impact on his generation. And obviously, uh, people today had an impact on their generation. Um, you're right, TI voting was an, was an amazing, amazing situation for a lot of reasons. One, for us, we tried to get uh, people who had a felony more impressions in the system in this process. Um, but no, I, I think, as we mentioned earlier, it's, it's an evolution. Um, I, I'm excited um, because, you know, for me, being uh, one of the co-creators of the Voter Die with Diddy, you know, I caught so much, you know, uh, from people questioning, did it work? How did this work? Especially from the man that, you know, yes, sir, they would give me a hard time. They say, that doesn't work. So, but, but now, we spent my vote with T.I. and Keisha Cole, Jay-Z, uh, LeBron James, um, so many young people. It had an impact. But I think it had an impact for this reason, that the institution was able to walk lockstep with the celebrity and to then kind of push that. So it wasn't this kind of random anywhere, any place. So when T.I. was in at FAMU doing the largest Get the Vote party um, um, at FAMU's homecoming with 10,000 people, it was amazing. When T.I. voting was because the institution could instruct him on, what it, and on, on his rights to vote. Um, you know, it, it was it was powerful, and I think that four years from today, as a matter of fact, November 6, 2012, when we do this again, um, you know, <laughs> four years from today, well, get ready. 
you know, slavery has an impact, but I think it's important for us to 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 put things in lockstep. Plus, I think that the one thing that it's easy for us is that Barack Obama himself became a celebrity. So he himself kind of made it easy to kind of uh, not to be flexed. So it wasn't when Russell showed up or when Diddy showed up or when Jay-Z showed up, they weren't necessarily the stars so much. So they can really get to work and kind of really kind of get use their own audience building ability to make things happen. But it was, I mean, I do want to say that Respect My Vote campaign in there, uh, mixtapes here for you. Uh, I think on the table you should get those and use those. I do think that we chose Respect My Vote this time, so the voter died, with the understanding that, um, that it, it goes on beyond this election, that our vote as young people has to be respected, and that if you don't respect that vote, if you don't use this process, then while we want to be with you and will be with you for the next four years, we must come together as young people. And people who are not voting our interests, we must vote them out. The time has now come for us to now use our power to put it in office, but also to put them out of office. That time now has come as well. They must respect our vote. So what were the, aside from the election, aside from you know not just a, a, a Democratic president-elect, but also you know at local and state elections going down, there was an overwhelming shift towards progressive candidates. But aside from that, aside from the electoral impact of this process in this past year, um, what else can we see that has happened with the youth movement, with this community being brought together that we can see an impact beyond a candidate or beyond an election? So one thing I've been thinking is really interesting is comparing today's youth activism and youth movement with that of the 60s. Um, and uh, it was just, you know, doing a little bit of a thought exercise yesterday. It's just very interesting. Young people today are quite idealistic and, and energized, but in a very, um, and taking on the system to some extent, but taking on it, taking it on to make it better. Um, so it's really interesting to think about that as juxtaposed with the, you know, the 60s counterculture, which was kind of taking on the system to take it down. Um, and not saying one is better than the other, but it's, it's a very, it's an interesting comparison to think about the, um, where do we go from here and how do we provide ourselves as resources to young people who want to keep doing that. Um, and so it, I think that it's, it's going to be an interesting kind of, um, there's the continued ability to make our democracy better, and then there's also the what can we do to empower young people to keep it, keep it honest, um, to make it more transparent, whether it's through the internet or through, um, you know, anything else, and to make it take action um, on things that young people voted because they care about. Um, so, and I think I got a little off from what your question was, but. <laughs> but I mean, so, so the question originally was, what else can we see beside, beyond candidates, beyond electoral politics, That's what are the right. other impacts of kind of this, this wave of, of youth energy that we've seen? And David, were you about to answer that as well, I think? Um, no, only very, very small. I was just gonna agree that um, this generation is, is sort of the public opinion indicates it's kind of very much also a work within the system. It's not work within the system um, kind of generation. So just to sort of support the with sort of anecdotal evidence of seeing how how the activities go on, that's also sort of uh, fits with kind of how young people think as well. 
we're about to go to audience questions. I'm going to ask one more question up here, and then, so if you have your questions ready, and then I'll, I'll talk to you about the process of getting those asked and answered momentarily. Um, so, but the last question for you guys is, okay, so moving forward, we've talked about how this happened, some of the ways in which we think, you know, that the candidates used, um, utilized the internet in great ways, that this was a perfect storm of events in terms of the issues that young people care about, and that in and of itself was enough of a motivating factor, combined with kind of an electric election. Um, but in terms of what we do tomorrow, how is the infrastructure of youth organizing changed? Not just how are young people feeling different and what will young people do, but somebody mentioned earlier that this actually, this election was also a result of years of deliberate strategizing, years of, of foundation building. How has that changed? No, definitely. I mean, it has changed a lot. I mean, it really has changed a lot. I think that you know, this war, along with Katrina, has forced us to organize and mobilize in our community in new ways. You mentioned YouTube. I mean, we have become the YouTube generation. Um, uh, MySpace and Facebook and Twitter. And, you know, it's this and that. It's this in 2008. It's going to be some new things in, in the next two years. I think that what's, what's going to happen now is that I think that we are now going to, there's going to be a wait period. You're going to see, it's going to be first of all, a huge wave of people coming from Washington, D.C. They're going to be coming here in the busloads. Because they engage. Politics is now fun. It's, they want to be involved. I think that there's going to be a struggle where a lot of the institutions that have the old guard, boomers, not putting anything against the boomers, but they're going to be in a position where there's going to be some push for those positions and how the direction, how things are being used. And I do think that there's going to be a need, and I'll say this again, there's going to be a very, there's going to be a critical need, and I will agree, a lot of people who see things definitely, I mean, I think that in, in certain communities they definitely see um, the process, um, uh, um, you know, certain cut and dry. But the other people who haven't seen this as their process at all. I mean, they're very much, they've been on the outside, so they don't see, they, they don't see America sometimes being that, they now do. I mean, in Harlem you have people waving flags, and, in the, in the hoods of the hoods, you know, you know, saying, God bless America. So to capture that enthusiasm, I think we have to bring them in. And again, make this system transparent. Teach them as much as possible. We have to bring back schoolhouse rocks and, you know, I'm only in there and I'm sitting on Capitol. I mean, we're going to do something. But we got we to gotta, we gotta really begin to really educate our community. And I think it's important for our generation, for us who will be around to see 2020, and 2028 and 2032 and on and only be in our 40s and 50s, I think we got to, I think we have to really push against, again, against the racism. We saw some ugly things. We, we were, we, we're not, we're used, this is not hard for us. We like this. We can be black and white. Everybody here listen to hip hop, T.I., you know, whatever. <laughs> you know, you know, little Jesus, you know. And that's, that's our generation, and you can do that. And so I think that what's important now is that we have to push back. I think what we saw. A generation that wanted to return us back. They wanted to go back to the 60s. They wanted us to be small town versus urban, black versus white, straight versus gay, theist versus atheist. That was not what we wanted. I think that we got to push back against that. I think our next steps is for us to unite as a community and to push back and really, and really spawn to a new dawn, really become that generation 
really become the dream generation of the 21st century? The united front, you talk about across sort of race and ethnicity, and I think that's actually one of the key unique things about this generation. Um, when I talk about sort of talk about attitudes of, on economic issues, this generation, so historically, uh, blacks and Hispanics are much more progressive on economic issues. Yet, among this generation, young whites have become decidedly more progressive and have closed the gap on pretty much most every economic issue so that it's much smaller than it's ever been. Um, so they're sort of united in similar viewpoints, but if you also look at how uh, they voted, among youth, uh, 18 to 29 year olds were the only group where all races and ethnicities voted for the same candidate. So there's a really similar shared united view here. Well, I'm going to start a course of Kumbaya, but let's, let's pause and we'll actually, we're going to take some questions from the audience. So if you have a question, please raise your hand. And we've got two wonderful people walking around, Annabelle and Celia, who walk around with microphones. And I saw this gentleman right here first. Hi, uh, my name is Darren Cambridge, and I'm um, with Common Cause. And I want to thank all of you for being on this panel. It's really informative and great. Um, my question um, kind of goes to what uh, Reverend Yearwood was talking about, about how we all have to become kind of civic teachers to a certain extent to kind of sustain this engagement um, and to get young people educated about the process of how our political system works. Because um, I think that the movements that, uh, and the issues that, Kat, you were talking about, climate change, war in Iraq, um, college affordability, that all those movements are only as successful as the system allows them to be. Um, so once we start teaching young people about this process, how do we then get them to see these process issues like campaign finance reform um, and why certain people get more influence and access or redistricting reform, why incumbents keep getting reelected even though you know, our, we feel like our vote should be respected. How do we get young people <laughs> to find those issues sexy and start organizing around those issues? Because you say campaign finance reform or redistricting reform, people start nodding off. So how, how, how do we fuse that excitement into the civic education that, that you're talking about? Yeah, I, just to, as an initial response to that, I feel the same way about electoral reform. Also, made, I mean, I think it's pretty sexy, but um, I think that um, there's a couple of different answers to that. I think one thing is that um, it, it depends on how you talk about it, and it depends on who you're talking to. So, but, you know, electoral reform, not that exciting sounding, redistricting, that sort of thing. Um, and then, you know, other electoral and voting rights reforms. We talk about it as civil rights, which is what it is, and the right to vote and the right to have your voice heard. Then that is, a, you know, that's a whole different conversation. And, you know, on election day, we saw a whole bunch of voting rights violations that were, you know, just inexcusable. Um, and we also saw at the same time how they rallied young people up at Virginia Tech's campus, um, you know, in a bunch of other places across the country um, to really take action. We literally had uh, young people outside of the polling place at Virginia Tech, which was 6.5 miles away along a one-way one -way road, um, literally running around grabbing their um, uh, fellow students and dragging them to the polls, putting them on the shuttles, putting them on the buses, yelling at people five minutes before the polls closed when the, at the parking lot and half a mile down the road to run, the polls are closing, run, make sure you can vote. Um, and so, 
I think that's one example of a way to um, engage people in things that maybe if you talk about it as a process thing, um, isn't quite as, as engaging, but if you talk about it in a way that it affects them on a personal day-to-day -day basis, is more so. Can they finance reform? That's a harder question. I've been trying to think about that myself for like six years. But So that would just be one initial answer. It's a lot of these, these things that you just mentioned are pure basic rights and um, civil rights and rights issues. So Anthony, how we need to talk about them. Another question from the audience? Gentleman right over here in the white shirt. Hi. I wanted to, to go along a little bit with what the, the gentleman over here was saying about, about smaller issues. You know, it, it's, it's one thing to talk about climate change and the war in Iraq and get people fired up about these larger issues, but these, these, these other issues which may not be as, as prominent, the celebrities don't come out for. Um, and, and also in terms of, of building institutions that, that focus on providing opportunities to young people in an ongoing way. Um, I'm involved with an effort to build a civilian counterpart to the military service academies. You know, we have five military service academies. We don't have a civilian counterpart. And, and this would be an institution federally funded. Students get a free college education, but then they would owe five years of service following graduation in the civilian public sector. Um, and so I guess the question is, how do you get young people to, to learn about these kinds of issues that aren't the celebrity issues that aren't the, the, the big uh, ticket items, um, and yet are, are potentially galvanizing issues, uh, like the U.S. Public Service Academy. I mean, it, it, it sounds, and I'm not going to answer questions for you from the panel, it, it sounds like a similar question in the sense that I think it, it, it's about how you, how you frame these issues, how you talk about them, how you make them relevant to people's day-to-day -day lives. I think if, if you can't do that, you need to go back and kind of reevaluate what the issue is and a way to frame it and a way to talk about it because there's something about it that got you involved. There's something about it. There's some core principle or some core belief that attracted you and whoever else is involved in your movement to the movement. So figuring out a way to articulate that that actually touches young people, that reaches out to them where they are, I think is, is a perfect strategy. I think I'm going to add and combine those two together. I think that one, obviously, you know, let's be four or five years ago, four years ago, and eight years beyond that, we'll go back to 2000. Um, in 2000, you know, voting wasn't that sexy. I mean, let's, let's, let's not make it seem like now with this became, it was, it was, it was, it wasn't like the sexy, sexy how it is, how it was now. I mean, yes, it was hard, so it was getting out electoral activism, <laughs> so to speak. But we, you know, when Voter Data came along, you know, we, we, we used marketing um, and used some of the same things that it used to market to, and so the imaging that was done there, so that it wouldn't be, it just it wouldn't seem stale. And you know, you gotta, you have to just kind of pitch it so it, it's exciting. Our, our generation is the first generation that's been marketed to since birth, and that's important. Most people in their 20s and 30s have been marketed to since we were babies, since Gerber, <laughs> you know, since the beginning. Um, and so that's important. So voter died, um, and that's my vote. We use those same technologies to make it fun. And exciting, and I think this can happen too. We want to do that now with the climate. Uh, we want to do that as far as with militarism. So back to your point, we make hip hop not war. Um, a lot of those issues, a lot of those things. And so I think that's an important piece. I think the other piece, though, is this. And this is one thing that the progressive movement does not do as well as the conservative movement. And I think that sometimes the conservative movement has a tendency to meld in some issues together. Um, they meld them in. When I would go to the immigration rally, it'd be all brown people. I go to the police brutality rally, 
it'd be all black people. I'd go to the peace rally or the climate rally, it'd be all white people. So we would still have a segregated progressive movement. And so we got to deal with that as well. I think sometimes on the conservative side, when I would go to some of their rallies uh, and be there, uh, you know, because sometimes there's some issues. I mean, John McCain was against torture. I'm against torture. And so, you know, in that, in that process. And so I would go to the anti-torture rallies, and it, they would cross. So you would see some of the evangelicals crossing over with anti-torture, and you would see some of those meld. We must meld the issue together. So you just can't be firm and say, my issue of getting building service academies, which is great, is a phenomenal. Who's a former Air Force officer? I think it's great to have that piece. Uh, I think it's wonderful, but at the same time, it's my country from the hood about death penalty or brutality, and you're not supporting, or you're not su you're supporting not your finances or lip service. Then you're not really going to have that meld. We got to figure out a way in the progressive movement to meld these issues together. It's, it's actually happening. I mean, I can think off the top of my yeah. head. The climate movement is a perfect example. Yeah, Desi Shelton, raise your hand. She's the, the executive director of the Energy Definitely. Action Coalition. And we talk all the time about how this is happening. <laughs> Eight years ago, four years ago, the climate movement, people thought it was young, white, vegetarian tree huggers. You know, to be honest, that was the stereotype. And that has completely changed in part because <laughs> of the work that Energy Action Coalition is doing. Um, organizations like Campus Progress and Hibop Caucus are really working to figure out how can we bring everyone into the movement because the issue impacts us all. So I think that, that was a really good point right in your voice. Another question, the young woman in the brown sweater or brown shirt dress. <laughs> Hi, my name is Michelle. I'm Michelle White. I'm here on behalf of the Charles Stewart Mott Foundation. And we are in the process of forming um, a social marketing campaign called New Day for Learning, which is focused on public education. So it's really looking and asking the country from community, business, students, parents, et cetera, to really re-envision how, when, and where our young people learn. And so the civic education and all of those kinds of things in the communities interacting with their schools and their businesses, all of those things which are so critical to really turning around the realities that are happening in schools these days. I was, just curious, there doesn't seem to be a lot of talk of how a high school student could really change the reality that's happening in the school. Just wondering if any of the voters that you came across talked about that. And then second, one of the, our big challenges and what we really want to do is harness a lot of this thinking. So we're, we've got coalitions with business and your educator groups and all of those kinds of things, but really getting young people involved in formulating the campaign, putting it out there. And so we'd love to talk to all of you after about ways to really harness that. First question is about if you know, any of the young voters that you all came into contact with talked about high school, um, talked about getting engaging that young demographic before they get to college. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, one of the things I've been hearing a lot about this year, um, both on the from the the folks involved in the Obama campaign and the Young Democrats of America, as well as the nonpartisan organizations, is but well, what about the high school students? What about the high? We may not be able to vote yet, but what about us? We're still active. We're still out there getting engaged. Everything from the Junior Statesman of America on down to the campaign. And I know that the um, the YDA folks um, have said that the high school chapters are the fastest growing chapters of the Young Democrats, and that the high school students for Barack Obama, and that the the two folks who run that um, a few months ago, and they're just amazing people. Um, and now they're in college, but they were in high school then. Um, and so I think that's a really good question, and I also think it actually feeds exactly into what I was just thinking a little bit ago, thinking thinking a little bit more about um, both of those questions about um, a couple of specific issues and what, what, what we might be able to do to engage young people on them or to support their engagement. Um, 
Because there's a tons of different, I mean, this is the most diverse generation in American history. There are tons of different, you know, young people out there. We're not going to engage an entire generation in every single issue. And so I think that figuring out, um, asking young people what they're passionate about, what needs to happen in their communities, what they want to have happen on a national scale, and then <coughs> recognizing that the continued coordination of all these different organizations out there is wonderful, but we all also have niche, niches and specialties and things that we can bring to the table. And so it's, you know, it's a little bit of a balancing act, and Reverend Yearwood is correct, the progressive movement for a really long time has not played nicely together on things necessarily. Um, so balancing playing nicely together with also recognizing our own strengths and reaching out to the young people who are most passionate about different things, um, I think will be key to being successful over the next four years and in the next several years. Um, it's not going to be easy. It's, you know, it's a little bit of tension. It's trusting each other while at the same time, um, you know, doing, doing what comes naturally and what comes best. Um, so I think same for the high school students. There are groups out there that are going to continue to seriously engage young people. Um, I suspect on both sides of the aisle and then also in the nonpartisan world, um, high school students included. Non-college, I would answer that in a slightly different way, non-college, because obviously in women cities like Indianapolis and in St. Louis and in Detroit, where the high school dropout rate is 50%. And so, uh, you know, obviously, and it's, yes, you're right, going up. And so obviously for us, we're not, I mean, we from non-college, we can't get into college yet in high school. So obviously we want to catch them beforehand. Um, we deal with that issue, particularly as far as black men, um, and, and dropping out, and that's also a very key issue. But just in general, dropout rates across the country are, are going up. So you're right. I mean, we have to do it. We, we can't catch them. We, 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 the institutional void uh, will, will, will be harder because we won't be able to go to somebody's student union or student square. I can't just roll up on up at Brown or I can't roll up at, you know, at, at Butler and start waving a flag and do a rally if they're not finishing high school and they're working at Ikea and FedEx. And so you're right. We have to, we, we must catch them. And I think actually from a different standpoint, from an artist who mentioned social marketing, artists actually would love to go to high schools. A lot of artists themselves are not going to college. And so I think that, you know, uh, they would actually they would love to go to high schools. And so I think that we, we should really work on that. We'll talk later. No, we'll definitely talk. And I just say, those people who are in ninth grade now will be the ones who will be voting in 2012. So we obviously, we've got to get them and, yeah. and start educating them now. And just one other quick thing to add to that, I think that that, um, that just makes incredibly important um, the ability to work with, I was talking electoral form a little bit ago, but also just basic civic engagement reform. Um, so being able to, you know, think about on a state or a national level, can we require schools to be doing more, you know, political and civic engagement? Can we maybe not be requiring, but encouraging and incentivizing, bringing groups like the Hip Hop Caucus and um, other organizations to students to teach them about um, politics and issues, even if there's not an election, even more important. Um, th things like that I think will be really huge to be working on post-election. Got time for a couple more questions. Uh, black sweaters, I think. Well, first, I just wanted to actually answer your question. At the Energy Action Coalition, I think there's an interesting story for us behind Power Vote and how this election cycle we mobilized more than 400,000 young voters around climate and energy. That story started when young people in high school and in college tried to make their local communities models of the clean energy future that they were fighting for, right? So 
they didn't see the federal government doing anything. They didn't see the state government doing anything. So they got real involved and they pre pressured their high school principal or their you know chancellor or whoever to make change. And all of a sudden, all across the country, we saw campuses investing in wind energy, changing transportation systems. And that actually was the on-ramp for them to thinking, you know what? If we can do this at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee or at the University of Tennessee, what would happen if we did this in massive numbers on election day? We could change state policy, we could change our administration. And so I, I think that's a really unique model. Uh, my question, now that I made a comment, is, you know, at Energy Action, for us, the election was just one part of a much larger strategy. We were gonna turn people out to vote in record numbers on November 4th so that we would have the political power to fight what we think is the real fight, right, which is, passing federal legislation on energy and climate, creating five million new green jobs. It is clear, and, and we touched on this a little bit, that, that young people made the difference in elections up and down the ballot. Do we think young people marching through the halls of Congress going into offices, do they actually have more political weight now? Has the game changed inside Washington, D.C. as a result of the overwhelming turnout, or is this all gonna soon be forgotten and young people are gonna be kind of in the same disadvantaged position that they've been in the policy arena leading up to this point? You know, one quick note, all the voter turnout numbers I don't think are in and even though it did go up, it didn't match the record-breaking year of 1972. Um, the difference was the percentage of young people that voted for Barack Obama versus John McCain. So I, I'd like to put that on the table. Um, but the reason why I think the youth vote has so much more visibility now, in part, is because Barack Obama is somewhat of a pop culture phenom and he integrates well with the celebrity community and all that. And you saw John McCain try to hit him on that and turn that into a negative through August with the celebrity ad. Um, but also because young people, the internet was a revolutionary force in this election through organizing, I mentioned before, moveon.org and online contributions. And younger people are more acclimated to use those tools. I mean, that, that seems pretty simple to me. Um, so as long as people are still innovating in that political space, um, they'll have the power. And my, oh, sorry. I was gonna make just a very, very basic point. You know, you talked about uh, this as, um, outgrowth of some sort of civil rights leadership and mentioned Frederick Douglass and sort of I think his line here is the essence of power conceives nothing without a demand. So what you turned out, maybe now you'll be recognized, but work is to turn that uh, that turnout into a demand, clear coherent demands. Yeah. No, exactly. I was just gonna say, I mean it's we're starting at a different place than we ever had in the past. We're starting at a place where political leaders recognize there is a political power in young people, but that makes it only a little bit different than any time in the past. And now is when we need to, you know, either support, um, you know, work for progressive change or demand it if it's not happening. And the way that we go about doing that, it's going to be everything from online organizing to marching the halls of Congress you know, to, uh, you know, local activism to make um, institutional change on a very local or statewide level. Um, so yeah, it's, we're starting in a different place, but that by no means, 
no means means that we're, we're anywhere near we need to be. The last point to add on to that is that I would even change that language a little bit to say we're starting a different place. Fortunately, and I know this from working with so many young people, from working with our organizations, it, we're actually not starting now. The work started. Right. The work, you know, <laughs> I want to make, make that clear because the key is that when we were registering these young people to vote, when we were encouraging them to get out, when we were talking about this election, it, from, the, from the organizers that have been doing this work, it has never been framed as being about the election. Right. And I think that's an important point to note so that young people are expecting next steps. Young people are expecting lobby days. They are expecting storming more halls of Congress. They're expecting to do this work, and I think that's gonna, that's gonna make the difference in terms of do we keep our power? Does our power last beyond this week? Absolutely, because we're planning for it to last beyond this week. So I think that's, that also is a, a piece yeah. of the puzzle. Very mm -hmm. from, the, from the climate side, I just wanna add, I definitely think being a part of the climate movement, we can't lose, that's the movement where we have to almost prove there was a problem to begin with, because obviously everyone believed that there was, there was a problem with the climate until just recently. And so we had to, that shaped our discussion of how we forced that. I think also from the climate movement, it's also not just an American movement, it's a world movement. And so in that process, I think that we also have to then use our, our, our process to then have an impact on the world. So for instance, like even right now, I would love, and hopefully this is being, this is being seen, if they're listening, it would be great to have Robert F. Kennedy Jr. being a head of EPA. Uh, it would be great for more young people to, to assume those jobs and those like EPA and things like that. It would also be very important for now President Obama to go to Poland, an upcoming UN, uh, uh, to make sure that our voices are heard. I know there's an upcoming rally that we're having on that, but it's important that, that, that he now becomes the face, because that wasn't the case um, with our current president. He was not out there um, with the world, lockstep, fighting against uh, coal and, and, and nuclear and all of the aspects that we're fighting against. So we have to make sure that that's the one thing that we have to really make sure. And we know, and it was important, our movement, um, um, we, we actually saw a victory with Barack um, that against coal, I mean, his state's a coal state, and it was still big on the clean coal, which is no such thing as clean coal. And then one of those pieces, those pieces there is that we, we fought and pushed against them, and he changed. And that was actually very encouraging. So we, can, we see that he was one who can change. And we must continue that process. That's very important for us right now. If any part of our movement, the climate movement right now, the next 100 days now, and then 100 days after, when uh, after he goes to office, is what's very important for our movement. Great, Jeff. A couple more, if I could get one here. Hi, good afternoon. Uh, my name is Donnett Banks. I'm from the National Education Association, also a doc student at Florida State University. Um, I have a general question. Um, it sort of uh, stems back from um, Reverend Yearwood's comment about making um, the government processes more transparent. And we were talking about the, the voice, um, the voices being heard from the various aspects of communities, and especially we're talking about um, young people from the urban areas and the ghettos of, across the United States. Um, I think it's very important um, when he was talking about being able to articulate what your issues are, and a lot of times we find that some of these young people are not able to articulate their voices. So what types of things are organizations like Center for American Progress and other youth organizations doing to ensure that um, young people from these sort of lower socioeconomic backgrounds to be able to articulate their voices? I can take it from a, from a campus progress perspective, but I think I don't think that's that different from 
um, the majority of the organizations, is taking the, the models that we already have, which is um, going out and starting local campaigns, encouraging young people to start their own local issue campaigns, um, going and, and, and hosting creative events and finding ways to weave in their, their other interests with um, the political interests that they have and have already been able to express, and being able to go there and have conversations. It's a it's a one on one thing, and I think that's that's an important piece that we need to remember in this youth vote conversation. We're talking in these large numbers, 22, 24 million, 50 to 55 percent. But at the end of the day, the work that's going to continue is one on one. It's peer to peer. It's being able to have conversations specifically about your life, your issue, and then being able to teach them how to articulate that. So what you said. The fact that your little sister has asthma and everyone in your family has asthma, you know what? We're talking about coal. We're talking about a power plant being put in your community. How do you fight against that? That can only come from a one-on-one -on -one conversation. No, I, I agree. I think, again, it, it goes back to that, 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 that aspect of solidarity. I think that, um, you know, when the Hip Hop Caucus and Pittsburgh goes into a community, um, we allow for them. Uh, we work with Amnesty, Arizona We Care concert. Um, doing Katrina and Iraqi refugees, combining the failed foreign policy with failed domestic policy. But we went into the community using Young Drum. <laughs> and young Drum might not be the most conscious uh, uh, artist you're going to find. There's probably a lot more. But the, the community that we were going to loved Young Drum. It was in Memphis. And also dealing with Memphis with the environment issues that was critical, having the highest level of infant mortality rates in the country. Uh, we wanted to go in there to artists. And it was, I, I tell you, honestly, uh, I was in, we were in a club, and in the club we were in had women who were in the club who were seven months pregnant who were smoking and drinking. And even my, and there were people, activists who were saying, my God, they're smoking and drinking, they're pregnant. And they were almost like facing, I said, this is the reality of the community. So we got to first go in. The oppressed will act like the oppressed. We must go in there and be with solidarity and come to them in their way. And, their, and I gotta appreciate campus progress. We've been working on a few things, and because we were a non-college, they, they were hip-hop caucus and rock the vote. We were together at Jay-Z concert. We said it was good in that process, working together. But we gotta come to that community. And then I, I gotta say this for all the foundations who might be here, and for us, we must, be, we must trust them with the resources. We gotta give them money. We can't, be, we can't just come to the community and say, come to us, we can do it all, we need you. We, gotta, we have to give them the money and the resources that they can then build up. That Fannie Lou Hamer moments are not happening enough in the progressive community. We must allow them to say, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired, and give them the resources to do that. Gentlemen right here, right next to us. How you doing? I'm Rob Runyon from the Bill News Service. And uh, I know two days after the election, it probably seems awkward to ask about a post-Obama um, factor, but I was just curious, I mean, you talked about 2012, 2016, he's not going to be running, and you can argue over, you know, how much of an impact he had, but how do you use the impact that he had um, going forward to keep people engaged, and not just um, young Democrats, but 32% that didn't vote for him as well? I can't believe you asked that. <laughs> Next election already. Um, well, I think the one, one quick answer to that is that, um, and you, you did acknowledge this, but one quick answer is that um, the 2008 election, young people, the remarkable turnout from young people was not because of Senator Obama. It was something that his campaign took in, 
took um, and made a major opportunity from, but it was something that's been happening for a long time, mm -hmm. and it's been something and it's something that's been happening both because of the really wonderful work from organizations around the country, but also because young people have been taking politics into their own hands and organizing amongst themselves and in their own communities. So um, I have, yeah, I have no idea what's going to be going on eight years from now, but I think that it's up to all of us in this room and young people across the country to continue to grow engagement. And I think, I mean, ideally, in 2012 or 2016, this conversation would be as different as it was um, now compared to when I had it in 2002. So right now we're talking about you know what's going to happen next. Will politicians continue to you know pay attention to young people? Will young people be able to realize their political power? I would hope that in 2016 the conversation is totally different, and we're you know we're I don't even know where it would be starting from or not starting I guess but continuing from. But that we've seen, you know, such a game-changing uh, way of looking at civic and political engagement in this country that I, I kind of hope I can't even imagine where we'll be then. We've got time for one final question. Um, so I'm in the back. Hi, uh, I'm Tyler Lewis. I'm from the Leadership Conference on Civil Rights. A question I have is: uh, earlier, you guys were talking about how this generation is different in the sense that they want to make. Um, the, po the political system work better. So is there any sense, um, any of your organizations of, of young people interested in running for local office, school board, that kind of thing? Because we want to essentially grow another Obama, right? I mean, that's, part of it is that like he worked his way up. And so do we have a sense of people who are, who are thinking that they want to actually run for public office? Well, uh, Speaking not for myself, but for the Young Elected Officials Network, um, the People for the American Way have the Young Elected Officials Network, which um, you know they've got. I think I, I may be underestimating, but approximately 500 elected officials under the age of 35 engaged in their network across the country. And I went to their conference a few months ago, which was um, maybe 200 young electeds from across the country. It was one of the most. It was awesome. Um, and. The other thing that was awesome was um, on Tuesday, a bunch of them were up for re-election and seeing them on Facebook um, celebrating having won their re-election. You know, a 22-year-old mayor in Connecticut, a 26-year-old state legislator um, in Montana, it's, it's, that was cool. And I, I do know that um, those examples are becoming more common. I don't have any stats or figures on that at all, and I'm probably not the best person to speak to it. but. Um, but I think that's a really important part, and it's one of the things to realize. It's, it's about the voters, it's about the volunteers, it's about the activists, and it's about the, the young people taking political positions themselves. And I mean, I, I would just think, too, moving forward, I think we can all remember back, you know, when we were growing up, there was always this segment of, of kids, whether they were in your high school or in your college, that, like, you knew they were going to run for office one day, they've known their whole life, they're like <laughs> the young gens. And that's great. I think they always will exist, will have that segment. I think the challenge moving forward is to kind of broaden that circle and to bring some of these new voters, to bring different communities into that young elected officials network, and I think that's something that we can make a priority also moving forward, definitely. All right, so that was the last question. I want to thank our wonderful panelists here. Thank you all so much for coming. Um, we've got a lot of work ahead of us. Thank you all.